the Appendix N Podcast, Episode 36, The Return of Hastor, Ithaqua, and Beyond the Threshold by August Derleth. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast. I am your host, Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we discuss the stories that influenced Gary Gygax in his creation of Dungeons and Dragons. And with me tonight, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Thrilled to be here. And my guest, Louis Brenton. Glad to be here with you all again. All right, this is our first discussion of uh, another Appendix N author, August Derleth. And since this is, the, this is the first time we are talking about him, I'm going to go over some of his biography. August William Derleth was born February, 19, February 24, 1909 in Sauk City, Wisconsin, and he died July 4, 1971. Uh, he is best remembered as the first book publisher of the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, he contributed to the Cthulhu mythos with his own writings, and in 1939 he founded Arkham House with, with his friend Donald Wandry, which did much to bring supernatural fiction into print in the U.S. that had only been readily available in the U.K. Uh, he was a 1938 Guggenheim Fellow. Uh, Derleth himself considered his most serious work to be the Sack Prairie Saga about life in Wisconsin as he knew it. He was a pioneering naturalist and a conservationist. Derleth had been a friend and correspondent of Lovecraft since his teenage years, and uh, after Lovecraft's death, Derleth founded Arkham House uh, primarily to publish Lovecraft's work, which wasn't getting a lot of attention at the time. Uh, Arkham Arkham House's first book was The Outsider and Others in 1939, which I believe is uh, referenced uh, at least once in, in the stories that we're going to be covering. Yes, uh, yes, indeed. Yes, it was. Uh, Derleth invented the term uh, Cthulhu mythos, um, although Lovecraft himself preferred uh, Yogg-Sothery to describe his mythology. Uh, Derleth also, of course, wrote a number of his own stories, um, some, some based on uh, fragments of uh, Lovecraft's incomplete uh, works uh, in, in, in which he described himself as a posthumous uh, collaborator. Um, he, he got some, some flack for that uh, in, his, in his time. Uh, he also controversially depicted Lovecraft's universe as being a little bit more hopeful, reflecting his own, his own Christian views, and uh, most notably, as we're going to cover tonight, he, 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 he sort of treated the, the old ones as elemental forces, um, specifically based, based on, the, on the Greek uh, elemental the- theology of, of water, wind, earth, and, earth and fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, um, and this this is specifically called out in um, in in the Call of, Call of Cthulhu uh, role playing game by by Sandy Peterson as some of the things that Peterson specifically rejected when he was designing the Call of Cthulhu uh, role playing game the, the the elemental nature of the of, of the old ones and especially the the existence of good old old ones. What do you guys think? Here is my thesis. When we talk about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's influence on gaming, what we're really talking about is August Derleth's influence on gaming. Hmm. Okay. Everything that is in Dungeons and Dragons that comes from um, Cthulhu, you know, your Deep Ones, your Tentacle Monsters, um, all of that is comes through the prism of August Derleth. Sure. So I would point to a an adventure called the Temple of Elemental Evil mm-hmm. as uh, 
you know, just like Exhibit A in my case for August Derleth being an incredibly influential figure. Uh, because there you have the the cabal of the evil elementals um, who are in the ultimate ultimately in the service of uh, what is it Tharzadin, the a sort of great old one figure. Mm-hmm. Tharzadin, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I've never actually played the uh, played that module, so I don't necessarily know everybody's name uh, properly. Sure. My actually, my current D and D party is working their way through. Princes of the Apocalypse, which is kind of the spiritual successor mm-hmm. of the original Temple of Elemental Evil story right now. Cool. Uh, Durlith, I, I think Durlith was just kind of a fascinating guy. Um, you know, when he was a teenager, he read that um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who um, you know was still alive and, and publishing at the time, ha- had decided that he was done with Sherlock Holmes, and he wrote a um, story in which Sherlock Holmes... Uh, and Moriarty went over the falls and did not intend to write any more Sherlock Holmes, although he eventually bowed to fan pressure and brought him back. Mm-hmm. And in the inter- in the uh, interregnum, that intervening time, young August Derleth, who I think was uh, either still in his teens or his very early 20s, uh, wrote wrote a letter to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle saying, hey, if you don't want to do anything with Sherlock Holmes anymore, that's not a problem, just I'll do it. Uh, you know, name me the official writer of Sherlock Holmes stories. And uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle sent him a very terse note back uh, saying, you know, no thank you. I'm, not, I'm actually, I, I don't know that there was a thank you. Uh, it was just no. And, but Derleth had the last laugh because uh, later Arkham House published all of his um, stories, which were not about Sherlock Holmes, they were about a a physically indistinguishable detective <laughs> named Solar Ponds. Well, in Not in the uh, Solar Ponds. <laughs> well, in in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's defense, I'm I'm positive that uh, August Derleth was was not the first, nor was was he the last person to uh, write to him and 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 ask for permission to write uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sure. Yeah. Now there's here's that's an interesting question there um is derleth the kind of writer i'm not familiar with his other non cthulhu mythos stuff but is he the kind of writer who is better at telling stories in a world someone else has made than he is at creating his own worlds and telling stories in those worlds that's a fair question and i i got to admit that while i've read a fair amount of what august derleth has written everything that uh, everything of his that i have read has been lovecraft related I haven't read any of his uh, his historical fiction, or um, I may have read one Solar Pond story at some point. But yeah, I guess sure. I guess you'd, you'd have to read the uh, the Sack Prairie Saga to, to really see see yeah. what what he's like on his on his own terms. But his his Cthulhu Mythos stuff definitely reads like like it's like it's uh, fan fiction. Uh, so why don't why don't we we dive into the first uh, story here and, and we'll we'll really see how that plays out. Um, the, the return of, of Hastor uh, first appeared in Weird Tales, March 1939. And uh, who would who would like to summarize? Oh, Return of Hastor. I'm flipping towards it right now. Uh, let's see. That's the the longest of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, now this is not actually the of the ones that we've we've read. This was the first one that was published, but it's not the first one that was written. Um, Derleth wrote Ithaca several years earlier, uh, 
so what we're seeing here is actually Durleth, after he's had some um, some experience writing stories under his mm-hmm. belt. Well, the, sure. the the earliest thing I could find uh, from from him was was the thing that walked on the wind, and Ithaqua seems to be a, a reworking or or a sequel to the thing that walked on the wind. Yeah, it's a sequel in which the plot is exactly the same, uh, very nearly, and it uh, it makes references to the other story as having happened. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it was, gotcha. it was it was hard to find information on the short story Ithaqua because when you Google Ithaqua, you get all sorts of sorts of you you get every reference ever to 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 Ithaqua besides that that short story. All right, That's but right. We are talking yeah. about the return of Hastor. Sure. Uh, which, sure. which began with uh, Amos Tuttle's death. Sure. Yes. So, yeah, we're looking here at the Tuttle family. And uh, the story begins with the protagonist discussing the, or telling us that um, Amos Tuttle had given orders that his house be destroyed and certain documents in the house be destroyed as well. Um However, we find out that his heir, who is, is it a nephew, Paul Tuttle? Is that right? I believe so, nephew, yeah. yeah. Um, Paul Tuttle, who inherits this, um, doesn't have much of a hard time getting the will overruled, if you will, and instead gets to uh, keep the house as is. The judge, mm-hmm. if I remember right, the judge said that yeah, he didn't see the reason for that. Maybe maybe uh, uh, the elder Tuttle... Uh, what was his name again? Amos Tuttle. Um, the elder Tuttle wasn't quite in his right mind at that point, mm-hmm. and so the judge allows him to to keep it. Um, and as always, when someone says these things must be destroyed, and someone else says nah, it always goes bad. This is this takes us straight back to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Cast it into the fire, and and uh, now I'm going to keep the ring. It'll be fine. I can't. I can't help but notice that that one of the books that Amos, Amos Tuttle wanted destroyed was. I'm, I'm going to butcher my my French pronunciation here. Comte de Erlitz, Cult de de Gules, and apparently from from Wikipedia, Comte de Erlitz was Lovecraft's um, homage to to Derleth. So so yes. Derleth is re homaging himself. <laughs> <laughs> Durleth right. really he lays in a number of Lovecraft references right here at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, he places Amos Tuttle's mansion. Well, aside from the fact that it's in Arkham, mm-hmm. and that he borrowed books from Miskatonic University, which of course ties into a bunch of Lovecraft stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuttle's estate is on the Aliasbury Road, which is the road that leads to Dunwich, and it's right by the Innsmouth Turnpike, which presumably right. leads out to Innsmouth. So there you have. You know, specific references to the Dunwich Horror and to the Shadow over Innsmouth. Um, which he, you know, which which he which cites are, which are, many times. Yeah, which is yeah. kind of fairly crude foreshadowing since the, since the return of Hastur you know, kind of quotes both of those stories uh, in a couple of different ways. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so Paul, uh, the, the nephew, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, um, decides to start digging into old Amos's materials and uh, begins to research them and which is always the second big mistake is you know don't destroy these books it, well please destroy these books no well in fact I think I will study them rigorously uh, <laughs> is, is the path he takes and uh, living in this particular universe and man living anywhere near 
Arkham and Dunwich and Innsmouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is no other way this story can possibly go down than, than how it's going to go. I have no idea how there are any surviving insane people in the Northeastern United States after the work of Lovecraft and Derleth. <laughs> so we, we, we discover that, um, basically the, the, the old ones are, are, are real and, and Paul Tuttle is reading about them. Uh, and, and here, here's where we, where we really in, introduce a couple of Derleth's new ideas. Cause, uh, he, he, in in addition to the to the evil old, old ones, there there's also the the elder gods of cosmic good, um, and and then he go, goes on to say that that you, you can separate these these beings into into four kinds of beings. There there are there are the water beings. There there are the air beings. There are the earth beings. Uh, he he doesn't mention fire beings, but I guess I guess we can assume that that they exist. That's right. Uh, well, eventually Durleth invents one. Um, is that Cthulhu? Appear, appear, uh, yeah, Cthulhu is invented by Durleth specifically so that there is a fire entity to fill out his chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, which no, is the most, don't. come on, that is the most Dungeons and Dragons thing. Right? How many monsters and planescape come directly from that same impulse? Well, sure. I, as, a, as a kid, I, I loved the, 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 four, the four elements. They were, they were in every, every video game. It was it was an easy system uh, uh, to learn, you know. Fire beats beats water, you know all that, mm-hmm, all that mm-hmm. kind kind of thing. And of course, you know me me being a a pedantic uh, OCD kind kind of guy, when 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 I, I learned about the the para elemental planes and the and the quasi elemental planes, oh, I was I was in 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 love you mean you can get even more detailed with this with this incredibly uh, <laughs> i know yes. i know I, I i love that i you have the you have the uh plane the plane of lightning the plane of steam plane of magma and ooze mm-hmm. oh so awesome i mean so some awesome. of them didn't didn't quite make sense like uh, the plane of plane, the of, plane light- of radiance yeah I mean the plane of lightning i think was yeah. was one and salt I, th- I think i think there was a plane of of vacuum which which was which was interesting, but it was right next to the negative and elemental plane, which was kind of the, kind of the same thing. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, anyways, I, I digress. <laughs> I the, the point is I I love uh, elementals and any any mythology system that that is based on either either the four Greek elementals or the five uh, Asian elementals uh, is is all right by by me. But yeah. it, it it kind of it kind of dilutes the horror a, a little by bit by making the by making the great old ones comprehensible. This sort of category, uh, putting them, being able to put them into categories, yeah, you know, limits and defines them. They're they're a bit more like yeah, like right. Pokemon, you know, at this at this point. <laughs> and I I would say that there's actually more textual support in Lovecraft for the idea of beings of cosmic good and cosmic evil than there are of um, these elemental affinities because certainly Cthulhu was imprisoned by somebody. And it's not that much of a stretch to say that the entity or entities that imprisoned Cthulhu, uh, the, the elder gods that Cthulhu can sense only dimly though he is their prisoner, uh, or there's some kind of phrase like that somewhere in, in somewhere in Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an extrapolation to say that because they hate Cthulhu and Cthulhu is evil, they must be good. But it's a lot 
it's a lot less than the leap of saying that Cthulhu is a water elemental because he's imprisoned underground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think I, I think Sandy imprisoned, Sandy Peterson. At the bottom of the ocean. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a different one that's imprisoned underground. Yeah, Sandy Sandy Peterson took took uh, issue with with Durlith, uh categorizing Cthulhu as a as a water being because if if he's a water being, then why does water uh, hold him hold him captive? Um, to which, to which and I who say, are, and who, well, who are we to speak against Sandy Peterson? Well, I mean, <laughs> Cthulhu isn't imprisoned by water; he's imprisoned by a giant uh, non-Euclidean vault. Uh, mm-hmm. That that, but but anyways, constructed by angels. See, it all it all comes together. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. So we were going on with the story, and yep. uh, yeah, yeah. Because now, we we now we get to my favorite part. <laughs> okay. Which, uh, well, which is when Paul is explaining all of this to our narrator, and as uh, as as assistance, you know, as as reference material, he pulls out uh, the issue of Weird Tales that has the story Call of Cthulhu in it. Yes, <laughs> yes, um, yeah. There's a lot of referencing, and to me, that's that breaks the wall for me. That that was my least favorite part of of because this happens in a couple of the of the stories that we read for this yeah, episode. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that just. I get telling stories inside the world and referring to Cthulhu. I love that. In fact, I, I, I love his continuing work in this world. I'm not offended by it. Like some people seem to be historically, but, uh, but when he says, and I pulled off my, pulled off the shelf, my copy of HP Lovecraft, da, 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 I'm like, nah, you lost me. Well, you know, at that point he was pulling off, off of the shelf, his handsome copy of the outsider and others by Arkham press, the, right. um, <laughs> The flagship title of Durlis' own publishing company. Oh, product placement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, I didn't know it popped up that early in, in our in our culture's history. Yes. There it but is. That's, but that's in beyond the threshold, and we're still talking about the return of Hestor. <laughs> yeah, the 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 idea of oh, what if what if this fiction author is not really writing fiction, but it's it's all code for something that's really going on is, is something that that pops up uh now and then in in stories and it's it's it it often turns out to be not the great idea that the author clearly think thinks it is well uh, here's a question has it popped up in anything that we've read in appendix n up to this point is it possible that derleth came up with the conceits more or less uh sui generis well um the uh there was one Cthulhu story we read from um, uh, the one about the lightning beast flying over, or the one that's killed by lightning flying over Boston. Um, and the protagonist is named after one of Lovecraft's friends. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, oh, I, I love that one. That's the one where he ends up having to go to the, uh, to the, the neighborhood that's filled, filled of Italian people. Yeah. <laughs> full of frightening <laughs> Italians. The description is so poor. It may as well be describing, um, Rella. <laughs> yeah. I mean we've 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 had the frame story for for a while uh and um in in uh in um in that that Venus story by by Edgar Rice Rice Burroughs we 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 discovered that that after some amount of time Burroughs just started putting himself in the stories as the as just the the editor of all these tales that I guess the real John Carter and the real David Innes were 
were telegraphing to him from from all from all over the the universe. So I, I, yeah. I guess I guess the the seed of this idea has been around for for some time. But... Yeah, that was something Burroughs really liked to do. Like um, all of the John Carter stories, theoretically, are um, Edgar Rice Burroughs is publishing them because he got the manuscript from John Carter's tomb, or yeah, like he, he's <laughs> actually John Carter's like nephew, or or something, or yeah, yeah, yeah or that, or John Carter's nephew gives them to him. I forget exactly what. Well, the I, the the is. the, the Venus. Yeah, but anyways, something else that has already been. Something else that has already been published is being being hooked back in, mm-hmm. as opposed to happening, you know, relative relative to this this story. It's 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 a lot it's it's a lot more just direct and and on on the nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's my deal. It's too much. So I, I swear he, he he's doing the Deadpool thing and looking straight at the camera and talking mm-hmm. to me in that moment. You know, no. well, I mean that's that's why this this reads to me like like fan fiction because he he just name drops so much like like he can't he can't help it i think you know in the on the on the same page where where he's he's talking about about the the water beings and the and the elder gods of cosmic good in the in the very next paragraph he just he just lists just like a whole bunch of 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 things great cthulhu lake of holly tathagwa yog sothoth nyarlathotep azathoth Aster the unspeakable yugoth aldenes thale aldebaran the 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 hyades carcosa like guess how much lovecraft i read right (laughs) i'm I'm the uber lovecraft nerd and i defy you to 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 out out outdo me at at lovecraft nerddom (laughs) There's a very small number of people I think who could credibly outnerd him at Lovecraft fandom, in, and I in don't 1939, think, certainly yes. I don't think that there. I don't think that Durlith would have shied away from the fan fiction label. I don't think that it's a term that exists uh, up until the until the I think the 1960s. But um, I think that if I think Durlith would be the first to say, absolutely, this is Lovecraft fan fiction because Lovecraft was a unique genius whose message needs to be promulgated worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know that he'd use those exact words, but uh, right. Yeah. I mean, Love, Lovecraft in, encouraged other people to to borrow his uh, proper proper nouns, and you know there there were you know even even while he was alive, he was trading stories with people and and borrowing other people's uh, entities and and proper nouns for for use in his in his own 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 stories. So uh, yeah, it's 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 fan fiction, but it's it's sanctioned fan. Fan fiction, and it, it certainly reads reads a lot better than, than than some of the teenage fan fiction on on fanfiction.net. That's that's for sure. I mean, Durlith is not putting himself in as a as a self insertion and 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 uh, sleeping with with you know popular popular uh, characters. Uh, well, at, right. you know, when he wrote Return of Hastur, he was um, let's see, he was born in 1909. Return of Hastur was written. Um, 39. No later. Well, it was published in 39. But it was written no later than 37. Right. Uh, so he was. Uh, what is that? 26. Yeah, he's he's. Yeah, in his in his late 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 20s. He's in his late 20s. He's he, he has at this point been writing um, for a fair bit of time. I, so anyway. Yeah. Well, let's 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 yeah. let's move on to uh, to how the how the the story ends. So so Paul Paul Tuttle is foolishly uh, reading his 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 uncle's books that that he was he was told to burn, and and um, uh, 
D- does the narrator have a name? Haddon. Haddon. Yes. Yeah, I don't think he had a first name, but his, his last yeah. name is Haddon. And he's a he's he's oh, the I lawyer. Oh, I assume Haddon is his first name. No, I guess it could be. Yeah. So yes, so Haddon Haddon calls on Paul several times throughout this uh, story, and each each time Paul seems seems a little bit more uh, disturbed. He he spends a couple nights in the house. There's strange noises and 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 strange sights. Um, it, it sounds as if there's footsteps uh, in in the air above the house and in the ground uh, below the house, and I think the sound of water, uh, if I recall, I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah. And uh, Paul begins to talk about how Amos was preparing a a vessel. I think is is the word. Hey, yeah, he was supposed to be making a host for Hester to yes. come. And and we we think that 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 the host is is going to be the house. Um, but we we get to the to the end of the story, and um, Paul has realized the truth and he's, he's trying to warn Haddon and, and he, he says he, he's going to blow up the house, but it, it might be too late. And, and Haddon runs to get the, the police or, or I, th- I think he goes to it, to a judge's house. He goes to the judge first. Yeah. 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 Um, but the, the, the conclusion of, of the story is, is they're, they're rushing towards uh, Paul Tuttle's house to, to try and prevent whatever, uh, catastrophe is is about to happen, and and they they get there too late, and uh, the house blows up. But but in the explosion, uh, uh, our 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 narrator sees what we can basically understand to be Cthulhu and Haster uh, wrestling with each other, uh, Godzilla versus King Kong style, um, and then a, a light shoots out from from the sky and like hurls one into the sky and. Hurls one in in the other direction, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was really. Did, was he implying that that's the elder gods getting the good guy elder gods getting involved and in breaking up the fight? Is that, that the? That's 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 what what I assumed. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the the last we see of of Paul Tuttle is he's he's running towards the protagonist, but he's been transformed into some kind of ghoulish monster thing that 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 was supposed to be the the vessel for one of these uh elder gods who were who were fighting over over him yes he yeah, it's, had, it's, it's had, a it's a dunwich horror kind of riff where he's yeah. turned in, he's turned into a monster in a manner a monster that's that's described in terms similar not not dissimilar at least to the to the horror right and he is um he, the the uh, Amos, the original guy, had made this deal to be the host for Haster, and his body transformed a little bit after he died. And then um, Paul, the transformation happens to him apparently completely while he's still alive. Yeah. There's a bit in the middle where Amos's body gets stolen out of the tomb, and Paul somewhat nonchalantly says, Oh yeah, Cthulhu or Hastur or somebody came and possessed the body and was walking around in it, and then they decided it didn't work out, and they just <laughs> abandoned it. It's down, it's down at the end of the block. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the strangest things are just taken in stride in the story. Like, man, I kept waiting yeah. for it. Like when, when the protagonist is sitting at the judge's house, the judge is just rolling with this. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, okay, man, it's cool. You know, like, and I granted, if you live in that part of the world in this universe, I mean, Cthulhu is marching down the street every other week. I guess I don't know, but he's well, just. Well, there's a bit right after Paul. Uh, Paul brandishes the call of Cthulhu at Haddon. 
in in expounding on his theories where Haddon is like, geez, this all sounds really implausible. But on the other hand, it's all internally consistent and hangs together. Maybe there's something to it, <coughs> which he's very he's very credulous. Everybody's yeah. very credulous. Yeah, I, it, but <laughs> I think I think the the the. The the i the idea uh, that 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 we that that we have Cthulhu and Haster in the flesh just kind of wrestling with with each with each other uh, again it it really seems like it's it's Godzilla versus King Kong it's 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 like a absolutely yeah. monster fight fight night here I mean that seems very un 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 Lovecraftian but but very Dungeons and Dragons. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's this this kind of interaction with the mythos that Haddon has is a lot more similar to the kinds of interactions that player characters in Dungeons and Dragons are going to have with the mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, when they do a Cthul- when they have a Cthulhu Cthulhu themed adventure, it's going to look a lot more like the Return of Hastur than it is going to look like the Call of Cthulhu. Certainly more than the Shadow of Brinsmouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Definitely. it may superficially have the have the the architecture of the shadow over Innsmouth, but we, when you look at what's actually happening in the Return of Hastur, it's much more Dungeons and Dragonsy. Yeah, well, you can't have the PCs directly fighting the big bad when the big bad is that big and that bad. You know, yeah, we, we got to have them the survive. P- well, you don't have to, but you know, and <laughs> we you, like. You to. certainly can't have the PCs finding out that they're actually cousins to the to the monsters, and then expect them to take off their armor and go diving into the uh, the evil pool and splash around and live happily ever after. I mean, that's that's. Right. that's I don't think any Dungeons and Dragons adventure has ever ended that way. Well, uh, uh, I horror and and. Adventures from uh, for for Pathfinder in- introduces the the idea of, of of cursed cursed heroes where you're slowly turning into a vampire or or a ghoul or something and you have to have to deal with it. But um, that that certainly wasn't around in um, in in uh, 1979 when when Gygax wrote Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. Yeah, earlier this evening, I got notification that the uh, the fourth volume of Pathfinder's new Adventure Path, their their explicitly Lovecraftian one, strange, has strange shipped aeons. and is on its way to me. Yeah, strange aeons. Yeah, how how are you? Uh, in, in, <laughs> I have in, haven't enjoying that. Haven't read any of it yet. Haven't read any of it yet. Um, I have a I have a, a tiny child. I haven't read any of it yet, but I'm looking forward to uh, to you managing should, it. You should read some... it to your tiny child. I mean, he doesn't understand what <laughs> what, what words are yet. I mean, he's just I did, actually I did read uh, read some of the uh, Beyond the Threshold to him. Sure, because I needed to, I needed to read it, and he was conscious and uh, yeah. he was eight months old. All right, he doesn't he doesn't know what what those words mean. He just he just hears uh, he just hears daddy he, d- daddy talking. Sure, he appreciates hearing my voice form form words. Is uh, is my guess? So. All right, that's right. And we and surely the, the the it'll all come out in counseling later. Why you, why our children's first words were Cthulhu Fatagan or something like that? Does That'll he, be fine. Does he have a have a stuffed uh, uh, Cthulhu plushie yet? He does have a stuffed Cthulhu plushie. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He actually has uh, some like um, tentacle decals on the wall by his crib. It's uh, it looks cool. Well, let us let us move on to a to an old one uh, who cannot easily be made into a cuddly plushie. Uh, Ithaqua. Uh, Ithaqua, as far as I can tell, first appeared in Strange Stories, February nineteen forty one. 
Uh, and as we as we mentioned before, it, it, it seems to be a reworking or, or a sequel to The Thing That Walked on, on the Wind. And I, I kind of wish that, that I had read uh, both stories, but I did not. I just read Thakwa. Uh, eh, eh, so The Thing That Walked on the Wind appeared in Strange Tales in 33. And uh, at the time, Durlith thought that it was the best thing that he'd ever written. And... Um, yeah, since he was 24 at the time, that, that may well be the case. Um, and he wrote Ithaca, I think, shortly afterwards and tried to get it published in Weird Tales, but it was rejected. And so it kind of sat on his desk for several years before appearing in Strange Stories in 1941. I get the impression that like Strange Tales and Strange Stories were the, you know, the non-union Mexican equivalent to Weird Tales. Mm. Yeah. So are we saying, what, what is our official pronunciation of this fantastic word? Because I've been calling it Ithaca in my head this whole time. I, have, I haven't said I, it out loud. I'm sure that's correct. I have, there, ever since I first saw it when I was like 12 years old, I have said Ithaca in my head, and I can't break that habit. Uh, but sure. I'm sure Ithaca is the intended pronunciation. Well, I, I, just, I just don't know. I, 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 somewhere out there. Well, if, if, I, if I could grab out. my... If I could grab my copy of Call of Cthulhu off the shelf, I could look up the official uh, Chaosium pr- pronunciation. Uh, but I'm, I, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Durlith had an opinion about how it was supposed to be pronounced. And I, you know, even if Sandy Peterson didn't like his whole elemental thing, I don't think that uh, they would pronounce Ithaca differently. Mm-hmm. So uh, Durlith uh, created Ithaca, uh, which is that's how I, I pronounce an emphasis on second syllable. Man, just go. Uh, that sounds that go. sounds even more more monstery. So that that's probably the the better way to do it. Thank you. Yeah. Ithaqua. Ithaqua is the story of um, a Canadian mounted police officer uh, who is investigating some disappearances in Manitoba. Yes. Okay. Uh, and so it's it's a it's a short story, but uh, basically the the gist of this story is first. Uh, this guy living in Manitoba disappears, and so a constable goes looking for him, and then he did he disappears, but not before getting word to his supervisor, and the supervisor uh, sends word to the to the newspaper, and then the supervisor di- disappears. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. We gotta stop chasing this story. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. you know he read. Durlith read The Whisperer in Darkness, and he really liked the whole mechanic of the epistolary, uh, the way in which it's, it, it's making reference to newspaper clippings and stuff. And he was like, I can do that. <laughs> and he just he didn't know when to quit. Right. Yeah. So uh, what, what we learned from this is there's, there's uh, another one of these great old ones, uh, the, the snow thing, Thakwa, and it, it appears to... Uh, haunt uh, these these regions of uh, Manitoba, where the uh, in indigenous peoples uh, worship him, and they have they have altars in in the woods. And uh, the first person to disappear is is Henry Lucas, and he's he's found a couple days later um, as if dropped from a great height, but he's coated in snow, but but the snow is wrapped around him like fine linen or something. Yes, and also he's still alive, even though he's coated in snow and he's been dropped from a great height. Yes, 
Uh, but he he only lives for for a few days. Or does he, does he uh, say hours. anything? I can't I can't remember. It's, it's I think it's just long enough hours. to give us some crisp some some cryptic whisperings. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Constable Constable French, Constable James French, uh, just, he he questions uh, the locals and he he goes out at night to investigate these these strange uh, altars, and things get really creepy and he sees some some eyes looking at him and he, he comes to the conclusion that we have to destroy these altars. So he, he comes back to civilization long enough to uh, telegraph his, his boss, uh, John Dale Dal- Dalhousie. Uh, John Dal- Dalhousie, we, we have to destroy all these, all these altars and, and rid the world world of Ithaqua. And then he, he goes off to do that. And then, then he's found uh, as if dropped from a great height and also wrapped in snow, like, like gauze. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So and, yeah, he uh, yeah, he goes and sticks his nose in and discovers, as we always do in Cthulhu world, discovers that which ought not be discovered and gets it. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot to this story uh, compared to either of the other two that we that we're looking at tonight. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it's it's fairly simple in that way. Um, I find the I like the setting of it. It's very compelling. Uh, I like the descriptions of the just the, the setup of it because I'm not, you know, I've grown I've grown up most of my life in the Midwest and the Mid South, and uh, I have zero experience with the Great White North at all. And uh, I, I love the just some of the descriptions and the native people who are who just happen to be Ithaqua worshippers and. Uh, and the destructiveness that comes from that, and the and even the conspiracy to hide what's happening amongst them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for them, what's happening is not a problem. Yeah, but at the 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 end makes it makes it seem like Ithaqua's days are 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 numbered because now now the world knows about Ithaqua, and 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 you'd think after after some some time, enough people would survive long enough to to dynamite all of these uh, sites. Although I, I don't know that that would stop. Ithaqua, it would it would it would stop his worship for 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 a time. It 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 kind of now spoils see, the. At, yeah, and at that point, you're getting into a whole different subtext about how the Canadian government um, treated the the first peoples and their culture. If you want to have the heroic Mounties coming in and blow up all of their sacred sites, mm-hmm. which is something that I don't think Durleth really considers or, or uh, very much at all. But I think if you were projecting this this forward, that would be a thing to look at. <coughs> Although I don't think it's particularly applicable to Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Durlith was from Sauk City, Wisconsin, this little town of like 3,000 people, which I actually drove through this past summer um, mm. on, a, on a road trip. Mm. And they have, uh, there's no cell, there's no, there was no cell reception. There was an August Durlith Park and an August Durlith Bridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was minimally cool. Well, you you know you're in a in a horror movie when you're driving along the highway and and, and suddenly there's there's no cell cell reception. <laughs> yeah, but he was out in the middle of nowhere, and I know that when he was young, all of Durless like early stuff was set in Western Massachusetts and Innsmouth and so forth, uh, which was a a, pla- a place he had never been. And Lovecraft said to him, you know, it's all well and good to, to be trying to copy him, but you should write more about what you know. 
Mm-hmm. And I think as soon as um, you can see, well, you can see the difference. I think between Return of Hastur and Beyond the Threshold. Uh, as soon as Durlith is writing about Wisconsin, about Manitoba, about Saskatchewan, he's he's he's, he's immediately a lot better. Where where is mm-hmm. Manitoba compared to Wis- Wisconsin? Is it is it north across the border? Is that is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's in the middle of Canada, is it not? Yeah, it's, it's certainly north of Wisconsin. Okay. <laughs> so, so he would he would be be like he could he could just walk across the Canadian border and and be there, I guess. Uh, yeah. If you go well, if you go north from Wisconsin, you hit Lake Michigan. Mm. Um, but if you go around Lake Michigan, you'll get to Manitoba. Yeah. So he he'd be <coughs> Ontario is on the other side of Lake of Lake Michigan, so it's next to okay. Manitoba's next to Ontario. I should I should have a map in front of me, then then I would sound in, intelligent, but I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm calling up Google Maps right now. Yeah, yeah, there it is. But it's a lot more it's a lot more uh, familiar to Durleth this setting, I think, than Arkham. But this, I mean, this this would be the setup for a a D and D ad, adventure where the players hear that several people and and now a a sheriff have disappeared. Trying to in and in, investigate these altars, and, that, and that's where the where where the player characters with their with their magic swords and their and their magic spells and their divine shields, that's where that's where they come in to to, to hunt down Ithaqua and chase him off or or kill him or dispel him or whatever. absolutely absolutely. And there is precedent for that kind of thing in Lovecraft in the Call of Cthulhu. There's that raid in the Louisiana swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, that, in the, in the, but that's in the, a small, <coughs> a small part of the whole. It's not what it's not what the story is really about, mm-hmm. and it's not where the emphasis is. Well, there's there's the there's there's the shadow over Innsmouth, where the, where the government, you know, uh, tor- tor- torpedoes an, an, an underwater city. Which you know, happens entirely off screen, <laughs> right? There's right. there's the there's the Dunwich Horror, where where three scientists uh, dispel uh, Yog Sothoth uh, Ghostbusters. Style, so you're 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 absolutely right, yeah, yeah. But I think that this is there's a, but I think, but I also think that you're correct when you when you point to this and say that there's a there's a Dungeons and Dragony ness to it. That, oh, yes, that is absent in, or or is is more downplayed in Lovecraft. Sure, yeah, I think a great deal because it there's there's actually vague hope for the good guys in, in mm-hmm. some of these stories, you know, and, uh, even in, in the last story we were discussing, you know, there's, there's supernatural help on the good guys side mm-hmm. to be had instead of just facing this relentless, overwhelming enemy that just is going to have its way and just roll right over the top of us. Look how small and insignificant and bug like we are the end. You know. Let's 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 move on to uh, beyond the, the threshold because we we get we get more of it, it, Ithaqua here, um, and yes. this is this is sort sort of the culmination of of a couple things that we've been talking about because this is set in uh, Wisconsin. Um, we we have another another dying old old man in a in a lonely old house with a with a secret, uh, similar to the, the return of turn of Haster. Um, yes. and, uh, and we've, you know, we've, we've got weird noises in the, in the middle of, of the night and we've, we've even got the weird, uh, footsteps. 
Sure. And these yeah. folks are all Innsmouth descendants, apparently. Because the uh, the the man who made the home originally, Great Uncle Leander, yeah. had previously lived in Innsmouth before he moved there, and he's described as having what we call the Innsmouth look, um, which is and, uh, <coughs> which is something that reading the story seems really unnecessary. It's it's just sort of a vestigial need on Durlith's part to tie it to to Lovecraft explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because there's, I mean, there's no, there's no reason for, for that Innsmouth connection to be necessary for the plot, right? right? Um, yeah. Yeah, Cthulhu... they, they, they say that Leander began his encounters with the darkness in that setting, and then took it with him to Wisconsin. Apparently, yeah, but he could, um, but he could but easily yeah, he have gotten that, it yeah. any other way, and it sure. would not affect the story at all. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Cthulhu and and Dagon and and the Deep Ones and the Esoteric Order of the whatever they they don't they don't show up show up here yeah. at all i i thought i thought leander might have been been the, been the protagonist from shadow over insmith but i i looked it up and it was it was a different guy yeah yeah so <coughs> the um i the impression that i always got is just that Durleth just really likes insmith uh which is understandable it's <laughs> it's a it's a shadow over insmith is a really cool story so yes. Even when he didn't have any good reason to, he would he stuck in references to it. That's right. And so I think I'm sorry. I was going to say I think that Beyond the Threshold is a substantially better story than either of the the other two. And maybe that's because it was written written substantially later in Durla's life. He was well, he was actually about my age when he wrote it. Yeah, it 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 still has a couple of weird things in it that don't quite work for me. But uh, maybe maybe. You guys can can help me under under understand them. So we've we've got um, what's the protagonist's name here? Sure. Uh, uh, Tony. I assume it's Tony Alwyn. I don't remember if there's a last name given, but Josiah Alwyn is the grandfather, and then the grandson of Josiah who lives with him is Frolin Alwyn, and then Tony is a cousin of Frolin. Yeah, a cool name. Sounds like a, a dwarf. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where he gets the name Frolin. That 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 also sounds like like something from uh, Lord of, Lord of the Rings. Very much so. Yeah. I, you know, it's, he's from a small town in central Wisconsin. He could have gone to school with a guy named Frolin. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Yeah. So so old uh, old Josiah Alwyn uh, is is the most interesting man in in the world. He's been he's been all all over. He's the he's the great explorer. Uh, but now he's dying, and his his son uh, Frolin is is worried about him, uh, and so he he summons Tony, um, and uh, you really said a mouthful calling him the most interesting man in the world. That's not a a way that I thought about him, <laughs> but yeah, this is a guy who doesn't drink, but when he does drink. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's That's he's right. he's he's that he's that he's that archetype. He's uh he's a uh, commander Mc McBrag from the from the underdog cart cartoons. You know, he's he's been to uh, he's been to Mo- Mongolia and he's been to Asia and and Africa and Ant- Antarctica and he's he's got all these uh, travel stories. Yeah, he's uh, he's, yeah, he's the old retired. Old. He's seventy years old, but he could easily pass for forty. Uh, the last yes. all the last thirty years have done is just make him tougher. Uh, he's he's he just, he's described as a as a barrel chested old man with a with a heavy full face, closely clipped mustache, and a small beard to soften the hard line of his square jaw. So he's he's like every character in Batman the animated series. Yes. 
Yeah, and his hair hasn't even turned white. It says it's still like a steely yeah. gray or something he, like he that. He wore his yeah. hair long so that his head had a leonine appearance. Um, so anyways... Uh, One. Yeah. yeah, we're we're immediately told that this... That um, the that uh, grandfather's study takes up uh, almost half the first floor of, of the house, and you're not allowed to, to go into it. And there's this weird painting that, that covers the eastern wall, which is built in, into the hill, and it's just a weird painting of a of a cave with like a cloud over it. And there's a shaggy bear that's kind of shambling towards the cave, and no one can really figure out what's this ugly painting got to do with with anything, um, and kind of like yeah i love that yeah i love that thing that's that was i thought an excellent bit of foreshadowing because when i finished the story i looked back and went oh that's what that was about but it wasn't so on the nose that you could see it coming on the front end you know the the painting is key in multiple senses in this story it's telling you what's going to happen and it's also hiding the place where it's going to happen. Shawshank Redemption style, yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, I mean, as as soon as as soon as uh, Durlith mentions the painting, I'm like, well, there's there's clearly something behind the painting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, I didn't go there. I, I'm 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 glad you got that. I didn't. I did not automatically go to that. But so so they, Tony spends the night in this house, and uh, much like in Return of Haster, there's. There's weird noises, weird smells. There's the sound of water. There's 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 wind in the house when there's not wind outside. Uh, there's the smell of snow. Uh, so so all all these supernatural uh, manifestations. And uh, there's sort of a callback to the return of Hastur in them. Right. Because <coughs> the return of Hastur was all about how. Cthulhu, the water elemental, and Hastur, the air elemental, were fighting. And here, when Frolin is like showing off the weirdness, there's all of these like water signs that are suddenly vanish and are replaced by air signs, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 again, like here, here the the horror seems a a bit watered down because three people are experiencing it at at once. And it's 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 kind of just noises and smells, and it's not really affecting them in in any way. And and they even go and and confront the grandfather, and the grandfather's <laughs> like, it's like, yes, I know this is going on. I'm trying to communicate with with these beings. Uh, I've been to Mongolia, and Mongolia didn't kill me. So what do I have to fear from from strange uh, water beings from beyond? Uh, space and time he has a very blase attitude about it one might almost say a very player charactery kind of attitude about it because uh-huh. in his mind the the thing that really needs to be investigated is which of the great old ones um are we dealing with uh-huh. it's as if he is flipping through them flipping through the fiend folio yeah basically yes. deities and demigods yeah, and he actually even uses process of elimination. He said, didn't he say something like, at first I thought Cthulhu, but then no, this seemed like an air thing, which meant either Haster or uh, or Ithaqua, but the stars aren't right for Haster, therefore. But yeah, it's exactly like he's already read the monster manual, yeah, and he, yeah. he knows which things are, are there. He he mentions uh, Loigor a, a time or two, which I don't think we've encountered yet. Isn't that that 
it's not at this point. No, isn't isn't Loigor like a giant worm that like reaches from like halfway across the world to the other half of the world? Isn't isn't that that what Loigor is? Oh, um, they're a fictional race in the Cthulhu mythos. I just called up the Wikipedia entry for them. Okay. Um, they first appeared in an August Durlith story uh, that he wrote in 1932. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so there you go. He's he's referencing he's referencing something uh, that he wrote. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the short story, the Lair of the Star Spawn. Apparently, I I didn't know anything about them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just it's a I recognize that name from somewhere in the Arkham Horror board game, but <coughs> they're one of the monster tiles, I think. Ithaqua hmm. him himself is 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 based on a um on a on a Algernon Blackwood story called the 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 Wendigo, which of course is itself based on the Inuit mythology of the 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 Wendigo. So that that's something we forgot to mention. Um, yeah, so that I means yeah, so the if uh, Ithaca has a, a mythological antecedent in a way that uh, a lot of the great old ones that were just kind of invented out of nothing uh, don't. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's cool. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we eventually discover that it is, in fact, uh, Ithaca who's, who's behind all of this. Um, and uh, it... He so he 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 finally manifests on the on, I think I think the second night that they're that they're there, and they 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 sort of see him out their their window or they, they see a giant shadow blotting out the stars, uh, yes. but, but the shadow has 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 eyes, or or, or the eyes might be stars they're, they're they're not quite sure, and then and then they go and check on grandfather Josiah and he's he's gone and the painting's on the ground and there's. Lo and behold, there's a secret passage behind the painting that leads to some some weird weird caves. How surprising! Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the house had been built to cover the cave entrance, which is what was in the the painting in the first place. Yeah, and and, and out, outside in the morning, they find these gigantic Godzilla footprints in the snow, uh-huh. and hundreds of miles away, they find Josiah's notebook. Half a year later, I don't know it's, exactly. It's, how it's, it's mailed back, back to them from. Manitoba, uh, I I guess. Uh, And And then then Josiah's body is found a year later in Singapore. um, And what has happened to his body is the same as what happened to Lucas in in Ithaca and to the uh, the other uh, French. Constable French. Yeah, yeah. it's it's it's, it's very conscientious of those people in Singapore to dis- discover the the identity of this of this uh, white guy who's just landed. Yeah, on and their, then they on... they send back all of his personal effects, including all of the crazy monster tokens that he has in his pockets. So yeah, like we a... so we, we 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 get the added detail here that that when Ithaka takes you, uh, he he takes you up in the sky and he takes you to like other other worlds and things, and I, I guess he puts stuff in your in your pockets. Uh, or, or maybe it's, it's like it's like the dream quest of, of unknown Kadath, where you're just you're just traveling with him for a while, and you you go on this grand ad- adventure. But then when he's done with you, you get you get wrapped in snow, and you get you get dropped from a a, a great height. It would definitely be consistent with the characterization that's presented for Josiah for him to be like, yeah, Ithaca, let's go explore strange new worlds, and everywhere we go, I'll pick up a memento and stick it in my pocket. 
And little mm-hmm. does he know that eventually Ithaca gets bored with it and murders him. Yeah. So what is what what do you guys think? Trying to get into Ithaqua's head here. What what is he doing there? Because this is not just the standard I feel human like, sacrifice. It's like a buddy I, thing. Yeah, I feel like ditches. that's the the big question, not only in this story, but in <clears throat> in in uh, in the Return of Hastur too. It's not really clear what Amos Tuttle was going for when he set the up the events in motion that uh, that led to the story, the, the events of the story Return of Hastur. And it's certainly not clear what Leander was trying to do. That eventually led to Ithaqua um, mm-hmm. carrying away Josiah. I can <coughs> believe that Josiah, based on what we see of Josiah, I can believe that he's into solving the puzzle just for the sake of solving the puzzle. Right. Um, we're. we're yeah. I mean, well, we're, if we're, I remember right, Amos Tuttle, the the clue to that is in his in his uh, account ledger. Where it says he paid a hundred thousand dollars cash for one of those forbidden books, and then in the margin was, and also the promise or something like that. Um, yes, but what? Yeah. And and later, Paul, um, his nephew, follows up on that and, and writes a, a, an inquiry to the guy and is like, you know, a promise for what? And the answer comes back, you know, a promise to to provide a host, uh, which you know raises more questions than it answers. Sure. Um, but what's not? Clear is why Amos Tuttle was willing to pay a hundred thousand dollars for a moldy old manuscript. What was he seeking to get out of that? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. doesn't seem to have occurred to Durleth that that's even a question that needs to be answered. I think. Sure. Yeah, because uh, well, it's not it's, something that ever gets dwelled on in Lovecraft stories. But even in Lovecraft stories, the people who do all of the wicked sorcery they they have they get have some benefit from it. Right, you know, they want to live forever. They want to get gold from the bottom of the ocean. They want to um, command monsters to smite their enemies, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, <coughs> but uh, Amos doesn't seem to have gotten any of those things. Yeah, I wonder if it. I wonder if we asked Durleth if he would just say, "Well, he was just a one of those knowledge junkie guys. He just wanted to." Durleth would say he was a, he was an evil wizard. It says right here on his character sheet: alignment, chaotic evil. Boom. No. There you go. <laughs> we're 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 told it's 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 not just uh, J- Josiah, but but the the other people that that Ithaqua has has killed also have weird things in their in their pockets. We're we're told that in this story, but we're, we're not told that I don't I don't think in the in the Ithaqua story. Um, earlier, when I when I was reading the Wikipedia entry on Ithaqua, it mentions that. Um, uh, science fiction author Brian Lumley in his Titus Crow series uh, used Ithaqua uh, and 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 kind of um, explained that he was he was kidnapping people to to uh, mate with them I guess and 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 produce offspring to help to help him escape from his from his world. Um, well, here's the last paragraph of the thing that walked on wind, which Ithaqua the story that Ithaqua is a sequel to. Okay. I arrived at Navissa camp by plane within 10 hours of the discovery of Robert Norris's body. As I flew over the spot where the body was found, I saw far away on either side deep depressions of the snow. I have no doubt what they were. It was I, too, who searched Norris's clothes and found in his pockets the mementos that he had brought with him from the hidden places where he had been. A gold plaque depicting in miniature a struggle between ancient beings and bearing on its surface inscriptions and weird designs, the plaque which Dr. Spencer of Quebec University affirms must have come from someplace incredibly old, yet is excellently preserved, 
and the incredible geological fragment which, combined, confined in any walled place, gives off the gro- growing hum and roar of winds far beyond the rim of the known universe. Well, that, that's interesting because I think wow. I think uh, Josiah had the same things in in his pockets. Yeah, so, uh, certainly some of the same. Yeah, so I'm mean, well. If nothing else, that indicates that this is based on an idea that Durleth had <coughs> quite a while before he wrote this particular story. Well, I just I just figured if if Aqua has a has a gift shop, and this is this, this is this is just <laughs> <laughs> he like really likes that gold plaque. He's like, come on, take a gold plaque. I have, I'm drowning in gold plaques. Take a gold plaque. So it's like those those uh, those signs or those birdhouses that say "See Rock City" that you see all over the country, that where people have, that's just that's what you get when you road trip with the Cotton Thakwa. You always get that thing. Gotcha. Exactly. <laughs> that makes entirely too much sense to me. I'm becoming concerned about my own sanity. See, I I I want to know if so they they see it. Ithaqua through th- through the window. He's he's outside the house. So why did Ithaqua have to go underground and come into the house through that secret tunnel? Like why why couldn't why he, he, he just, just punch a hole in the wall? <laughs> yeah, he's giant, because he's a giant monster. <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Durlith Durlith seems to seems to just just kind of shoot himself in the in the foot. In his in his writings, he has like he he has really good ideas and and really good setup and and he just can't seem to stick the landing. I I remember when I first read uh, Return of Haster in the the Haster cycle, it's 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 prefaced by by a a, a story about how how um, Durlith wrote wrote to Clark Ashton Smith. And, and and sent him him a copy of of the the, the return return of Pastor and Clark Ashton Smith wrote back with with all of these really wonderful suggestions that that Durlith could could do to improve the story and Durlith did none of them. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think part of the when deal you, is when you send your fan fiction to somebody asking for feedback, you're not looking for feedback. No. no. Right. <laughs> that's not why you're right. That's not why. That's not why you write fan fiction. Well, what I was going to say is part of the deal is I think horror, that genre, is hard to resolve in a satisfactory way. You know, it's just like I, I can – most of the horror movies I've seen in my life I think resolved terribly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a because you set up this awful, awful situation, but if you – which is what made the old Lovecraft stuff so great in that it didn't resolve – in favor for the good guys. Yep, yeah. yep, the guy is mad and is dragged away to the asylum, or yep, the guy's dead, or well, just I mean, whatever. You know, I, I don't know. I would, I would not look. I would not point to Lovecraft as being a guy who is really great at ending stories. I don't think that in general the best part of a Lovecraft story is the end. Sure. Um, he's not as incompetent at it as some authors, certainly. But maybe with the exception of The Shadow Over Innsmouth, which which does end, uh, the ending of that one does kind of come down like a hammer. But in general, it's 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 uh, more of a meh, <coughs> even from Lovecraft, because because yeah, it is hard. It is hard. And, yeah, I think it's just hard to to end a horror story on a on a happy ending. Usually, that's just not. I don't think the genre lends itself to that. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna end often with the like shock revelation that you know ninety percent of the time is just not particularly shocking. Or else the story just kind of peters out, right? 
Right. And, right. And, yeah. After after you 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 read read a couple of these, it's 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 not shocking because you've read a, read a couple of these, and if if the world <laughs> really is doomed, why why hasn't it ended yet? I mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I mean, but it's like how that's just a that's just a staple of the genre. It's like the sequence yeah. in the in these stories, and in certainly others like Lynn Carter. Uh, a lot of his Lovecraftian stuff. There's this sequence where the main character just rattles off a bunch of proper nouns. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, this really made me think a lot about Cthulhu and Hastur <laughs> and Deep Ones and Innsmouth and Dunwich at the Dunwich Horror <laughs> and The Outsider and others. Available for in a reasonably priced <laughs> volume from Arkham Press. <laughs> Durlitz, Durlitz stuff reads like the the liner fiction that you get in a in a fantasy flight uh cthulhu themed board game yeah yeah oh yes i think well if you look at arkham horror i think that it's a lot more like a derleth story in a lot of ways than yeah you're you're running around arkham with dynamite and shotguns and you're you're burning books and you're you're blowing up uh uh Elder, elder young. <laughs> yeah, yep, and you're closing gateways, and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. yeah. I I didn't I hadn't read Durleth before we started doing this work for for this podcast, and I suddenly felt like I understood fantasy flight game because I'd read a lot of Lovecraft before, but mm-hmm. not any Durleth, and I suddenly felt like I understood like three quarters of what was going on with fantasy flights. Hence, yes, yes, yes. So I so much agree with that. It hints my assertion that. August Derleth is the prism through which H.P. Lovecraft has impacted not just Dungeons and Dragons, but gaming and in a lot of ways popular culture in general. Yeah, yeah. and that, I mean that, that's that's not to say that it's it's bad. I mean you can you can there's 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 a lot you can you can do by by taking one one kind of fiction and and stretching it and and mashing it up with with, with other kinds of fiction and and trans transforming it. Uh, uh, the 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 Cthulhu Tech role playing game is absolutely fascinating, and that that just takes Lovecraft and turns it on its head and, and injects it with with anime and 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 sci-fi. Um, wow! So, yeah, it, it's 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 crazy. Um, I've never heard of that. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I hope that anybody I hope that anybody who has listened to this podcast up to this point and shouts out to you, our listener, I hope that you're enjoying yourself today. <laughs> Thank um, you, sir. That's right, <laughs> <laughs> sir or madam. I don't I don't That's know. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, there could even be one of each. Who knows? That's right. Who knows? Um, but I, I would hope that anybody who's listened to the podcast up to this point uh, recognizes that I have nothing but a tremendous amount of affection for August Derla. Um, uh, he, uh, he's, he's somebody whose career as a writer I can look at and be like, yeah, I can see how somebody might end up doing that. Sure, in a lot of ways. So I think I think I think the 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 moral of of this story is is Lovecraft can 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 be a meal, or or Lovecraft can be an ingredient in your in your recipe. There's there there's no one one right way to do it. Sure. Yeah. Now we we used to end Appendix N by asking the question, how does what we've read relate to Dungeons and Dragons? But I, I feel like that's superfluous at this point, because so much of August Derleth just inundates um, the implied setting of D and D. Right. You 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 mentioned Temple of, of of Elemental Evil right right at the at the top, and I mean that you have the the, the good god just the good god evil god 
dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. idea that there are wicked, the idea of wicked cultists that need to be fought by champions of light, is not something that's unique to Durlith. I'm, I'm certainly not claiming that, right. but this particular, this synthesis of that concept with Lovecraft, is I think a really fruitful one. And even even as as late as um, fourth edition, where where they were really harping the the concept of the primordials. Um, which 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 had been like Im- imprisoned, which which were these elemental horrific beings that had been like Im- imprisoned by the by the gods in this in this ancient war. Um, there, I mean, there was a little bit of of, of the Greek uh, gods versus titans in them, but there was, I mean, there's there's also Durlith because because Durlith made uh, his his old ones into into elementals, and therefore. Uh, the the primordial titans could be could be elementals or they they could be Cthulhu's or they could they could they could be be both. So these these ideas are still being uh, permutated today in in fantasy fiction. Yeah, no, but, but nobody ever says this is a Durlithian story in the way that they would call something Lovecraftian. Uh, perhaps because Durlith is just a little bit embarrassing with the whole fan fiction dimension of mm-hmm. what he did. He's the he's the missing link. Sure. Yeah, yeah he's the yeah. he's the wrinkle on the material. He's not the he's not the material. Okay. Uh, does anyone have any final thoughts on on August Derleth before we wrap this up? I enjoyed him. I, I'm I'm really glad that I, again I had read a lot of Lovecraft and no Derleth, and I'm so thankful that we went in this direction. Uh, and I will continue to read more of him. Well, I am hoping that re- this is really the first of two episodes of Appendix N yeah, that cover Durlith, because there's another... He wrote a lot, and mm. there's... It, it's, if we want to get a decent cross-section of it, there's a fair bit that we need to to be looking at. Well, uh, there there is one more episode planned, and we will be discussing uh, The House on Kerwin Street, uh, Dweller in Darkness, and Lurker at the Threshold. Um that is that is not the next episode. That's a couple episodes down the line. Uh, I believe our next episode is the Mathematics of Magic by Elsprog de Camp and Fletcher Pratt. Looking forward hmm. to that. Okay, um, Jeff. If people don't already know, where on the web can people find you? Go to j e f f w i k dot c o m jeffwick dot com. It's the number one place for all of your needs of uh, comedic retellings of Lamort d'Arthur. And Lewis Brenton, where on the web? <laughs> where on the web can people find you when you're not reading the hilarious stories on JeffWick.com? Yeah, well, that's what I'm going to be doing full time now, so there's really no point. But just in case, um, you can find me at l o u i s b r e n t o n dot com, lewisbrenton.com. And my Twitter is Rev Lewis Brenton. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Lewis. And now before we end the show, we need to pay the bills. Here is Fred the Pixie to tell you about our sponsor, OpenGamingStore.com. Oh, hey, it's me, Fred the Pixie. Yeah, I wanted to tell you all about OpenGamingStore.com. It's a great website where you can buy all kinds of gaming PDFs and other great products, onesies for the kids. They always got these great package deals that you should check that change in every single week. So check it out, OpenGamingStore.com. It is a Pixie's best friend. Thank you, Fred. 
folks, if you have anything to add to the discussion tonight, don't forget to email me, JeffreyWynn, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. That's thetomeshow at gmail.com. Put Appendix N in the subject line so that they know it's for me. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D-W-I-N-N. And I'm also on Instagram with the same name. Our next episode will cover two stories by L. Sprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt featuring the enchanter Harold Shea, the roaring trumpet, and the mathematics of magic. Following that episode, we will return to Lankmar for three more tales of Fofford and the Grey Mauser by Fritz Leiber, The Sunken Land, Thieves' House, and Adept's Gambit. We invite you to read along with us as we journey through the worlds of fantasy that Gary Gygax had on his ship, his bookshelf in 1979. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 36, The Return of Haster, Ithaca, and Beyond the Threshold by August Derleth. Thanks for listening.